0: users who can the truth. And now, here's your host, Gene Steinberg. This week on the Tech Night Owl Live, we have a real doubleheader. First, we'll be hearing from Peter Cohen, who has been a longtime follower and observer and commentator on the Apple universe, and writes for such places as iMore. A little bit later, we'll hear from the iTunes guy himself, Kirk McElhern. All this and more. I'm a Tech Night Owl Live. Ah! Okay, Peter, welcome back. And I think one of the early questions I'm going to ask is, have you had a chance to work on an iPad Pro yet?
1: No, I haven't gotten have,
0: near one yet. You don't have one at the store?
1: Not yet. We were expecting, when the last day I worked in the store was earlier this weekend. at the time we were expecting... Uh, a delivery of them, but they were um, all slated for customers who had pre-ordered them, not for floor use as a demo. So, hoping to get my hands on one in the next week or two.
0: Now, Time Magazine reviewed the iPad Pro. They concluded it was the best computer that Apple had ever made. But then they listed software books, like with scrolling and the keyboard. And then we hear this problem that Apple is investigating involving when you fully charge the iPad Pro, it becomes unresponsive. You've heard about that one? Yes, indeed. All right, what is going on here? It, that's something that seems so basic. You have to
1: wonder, how could Apple not catch that before getting these things out the door? Well, I, I assume that it's not an inherent design flaw of the iPad Pro, but something that's popped up in manufacturing that, that's, that's causing the issue. And I imagine that Apple and its um, parts suppliers and manufacturers are... are working together uh, to try to figure out what the problem is. They have acknowledged the issue, uh, so it's not like Apple is being Sphinx-like when it comes to uh, responding to these problems, but uh, they are still, at this point, trying to ascertain what exactly the nature of the problem is and how best to correct it. At this point, Apple, uh, as we record this, their, their public statement on it, it, which has been posted to their website, is, is that they're not sure if it's a hardware-software issue but they're hoping that it's software so they can fix it with an update. If it's hardware, they'll have to replace the affected units. The workaround, I understand, is to do what is called a hard restart. Which is not a, what's the word I'm looking for? A hardship by any stretch of the imagination. You know, doing a a hard reset on any iOS device is trivial. You hold down the home button or the touch ID button. Uh, You hold down the power button. You wait five, ten seconds or so. Uh, for the device to power down, and then uh, you simply power it back up. And, you know, it's, it, it is the old IT crowd joke about, have you turned it off and turned it back on again? Uh, a lot of times this does fix problems with iPhones, iPod, iPod Touches, and iPads, and now iPad Pros. Uh, but the big question is, what is causing this to happen? And that we just don't have an answer for yet.
0: Now, I've been reading some recent reviews of Apple products, And more than likely, a reviewer will say, well, we had this glitch, this software glitch that Apple is working on. And you see this, even with the Apple Watch, there were some glitches in the first reviews that were recounted. I'm not talking about the fact that originally apps couldn't run native. They would be sent over from your iPhone, pushed by Bluetooth. So, of course, they wouldn't work as fast until they updated the watch OS and got native apps. But I see this in a lot of reviews, this glitch, that glitch.
1: That doesn't look very good for Apple, does it? No, it really doesn't. And, you know, these things, we can expect these things to happen in any major ecosystem where there are millions of lines of code or even a lot less code than that. Apple has some very complicated systems and some very complicated management practices to explain how those systems work. You know, expecting Apple to bat a thousand every time they come out with a new product, I think is really unreasonable. I also am a little concerned about this, what seems to be anyway, just anecdotally, an uptick in the number of weird things that we're willing to put up with um, when it comes to Apple's new product releases.
0: Now, I was looking over at the App Store, the ratings of El Capitan compared to the ratings of Yosemite. Now, we understand that online reviews, it's not a benchmark. It's just a rough, rough approximation. Sometimes just people put reviews up, they're nasty reviews to be nasty, and they make stuff up. But when you see a rating of two and a half out of five stars, you see that as far as I can see, and I can determine El Capitan is not getting the love. Now, for me, the only problem I've seen with El Capitan since it came out was the fact that sometimes mail would become unresponsive for about 30 seconds. So you click on a message or a message folder, and nothing happens. And you wait 30 seconds, and it works again. And then maybe it happens the next day or the next week. Have you seen any glitches, weird stuff with El Capitan?
1: Let's see, the most frequent um, error that I'm seeing with El Capitan is that my Bluetooth uh, capability seems to arbitrarily shut itself off for no apparent reason. And that'll break the connection to my, usually the, I notice it because my Apple Watch lets me know that it's now out of sync with my, my um, or, uh, no, excuse me, that my phone is out of sync with um, my, uh, uh, my Mac other than that, um, yeah, I haven't run into a lot of real showstoppers with El Capitan. I understand that when a new operating system launches, there can be some rough edges, especially when it comes to third-party support, um, and that Apple and Apple's third, third-party developers, registered Apple developers who have apps in the Mac App Store and elsewhere, um, are doing their best you know, to try to get those issues solved, and um, But uh, it can be very frustrating for somebody who wants to live on the leading edge, um, but is also expecting a top user experience. I don't necessarily think that we live in an era where that is something that can be done.
0: Well, you know, the thing that concerns me is the fact that Apple now has an active public beta program. I mean, if you're breathing, you could sign up to beta test OS 10, the beta test iOS, and if they've got all these people, all these additional testers doing all sorts of different things that nobody planned on, I assume some are sending feedback. And the question I have is, is Apple's software getting more reliable as the result of public beta or is it just for marketing? Oh, good. You can get the public beta now. Isn't that
1: cool? Well, if you take a look at the rollouts of, of Yosemite and El Capitan, Apple's last two major operating system releases, both of these were preceded by public beta programs. The uh, public beta program that preceded Yosemite was the first of its kind. So it was a little bit more limited in its scope and its rollout and probably had a limited, a little bit more of a limited workflow on the back end to try to get the information that uh, respondents were, were sharing Uh, with Apple engineers, Uh, you know, in all likelihood, all the places weren't in place yet. One could argue that Yosemite's launch reflected that because there were a lot of problems straight through 10.10.4 that I think a lot of us would have liked to have seen resolved long before then, especially because um, many of those issues were things that um, beta testers were reporting back in June and July. You know, uh, weird problems with handoff and uh, um, and, and and other uh, technological issues like that. So that was uh, the first piece of evidence. The second piece of evidence is uh, what we did this year, and it seemed like the uh, Appleseed program uh, f- to get the public. Um, test builds of the new operating system went much more smoothly, were done much more consistently, and were done much more readily than than they were last year. One thing I I see is
0: that this year, the seeds for iOS and OS X, they're either simultaneous or no more than a day apart. And what that means is here that everyone in the public beta test program is getting exactly pretty much what developers are getting. We've got a lot more to come and a lot more to do. We've got Peter Cohen, and we have plenty to discuss on the Tech Night Out Live. If your Mac has slowed down or isn't performing like it used to, there's a smart alternative to buying a new machine thanks to OWC. With easy do-it-yourself upgrades for every Mac, OWC has what you need to get the most from your computer. From memory and SSDs to ultra-fast external storage, take it from me. You'll discover all the ways you can upgrade your Mac today, at MaxSales.com. That's MaxSales.com. First game, Attack of the Rockoids, and it was a
2: critically acclaimed success. And now there's The Coming of the Protectors. A former military intelligence man is contacted by a space woman in a dream. A dream that turns out to be a nightmare because evil forces on our distant planet are planning to conquer the Earth. This is gripping science fiction of the classic kind. Attack of the Rockoids and The Coming of the Protectors. Find out more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids.com. It's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com.
3: ProPure Water, the way nature meant it to be. Clean, crisp, and refreshing. ProPure, the most trusted name in gravity water filtration systems. With the silver-infused Pro1G 2.0 all-in-one water filter. Helps remove and reduce over 200 contaminants. Don't purchase just any filter claiming to be certified. Get the Pro1G 2.0, the only gravity filter with NSF 42 certification. NSF, valued and recognized for independent certification worldwide. In addition, the Pro1 G2.0 was independently tested to meet NSF 53 and P231 standards. ProPure, easy to assemble, easy to maintain, easy to clean filters. Purchase with confidence in quality, performance, and customer service. Take advantage of our biggest holiday 25% off sale going on now. Visit your authorized ProPure dealer or ProPureUSA.com. That's P R O P U R U S A.com. Or call 800 544 3533.
4: I
5: want to be able to smoke inside, cut down on cigarettes, jog without wheezing, be kissable, and save money.
6: Then you want lessig e-cigarettes. Get the highest quality, best tasting vaping experience on the market with unmatched customer service from Lasig. And right now, gobble up this deal: buy thirty dollars worth of any products and get a starter kit for only five dollars. Use code SK at checkout. But hurry! Offer good only until Thanksgiving at lessig.com L e c i g dot com. Kick some ash with Lasig.
0: On the Tech Night Owl Live, Peter Cohen's joining us. We're talking about the quality or declining quality, is that possible, of OS 10 and iOS, and we understand the complexities of the issue, and we'll get into that in a moment. I want to remind you here that we've got a little price increase coming up for Tech Night Owl Plus, our premium service where we give the ad-free version of this show, and we're phasing in the Tech Night Owl Minute. So to be a modest increase, like from 5 to $6 a month, it goes into effect on the 23rd of November. So if you're hearing this show before then, you can take advantage of the price that's in effect now, and when you subscribe, you lock it in, as long as your subscription remains in force. Otherwise, it goes into effect midday, mountain time, noon mountain time, on November 23rd. To learn more, go to plus.technightout.com, plus.technightout.com. So Peter Cohen and I are talking about bugs in Apple operating systems. Now, there was a problem in El Capitan with Microsoft Office. Now, Microsoft fixed their end, Apple fixed their end, and I think that's pretty much resolved. What's your perception?
1: I'm still reading reports from users online that seem to be having some lingering issues, not only with Office 2016, which is the new version of Office that uh, Microsoft has released, but Office 2011, which a lot more Mac users have. Um, So I think that there are going to have to be some further tweaks. But what made this really kind of remarkable, reading between the lines, is that the Mountain and Muhammad met in the middle. You know, typically it's left up to Apple, Apple's third-party developers to work problems with their code around any shortcomings in the operating system. So they can report bugs to Apple and send, bu- send bug reports to Apple using what's, what's called Apple's radar system, telling them about problems that they're having um, that, that Apple needs to fix in its core operating system code. But in many cases... That may not be the priority for Apple, or it may just be a resource allocation issue, and Apple may just not have the bodies or the right bodies to throw on the problem at the time. And that means it can be weeks, months, in some cases years before those problems get fixed. So developers have to find workarounds and have to change their own code to work around these problems. That didn't happen this time. The the interesting thing was, um, as soon as OS 10, uh, or as, as soon as El Capitan made it out into the world, uh, Microsoft Office users started complaining about problems with apps not working right. And it became pretty apparent that the problem was El Capitan itself, or at least it was precipitated by the El Capitan upgrade. Getting to, and of course, Microsoft was excoriated, excoriated by um, many bloggers for, you know, you've had months to test uh uh, El Capitan. El Capitan's been in developers' hands since June, so you have absolutely no excuse, Microsoft, for uh, for not getting your stuff in your ducks in a row in time for the the El Cap launch. Well, you know that makes for some good headlines and some pithy leads on on uh, on, on your blog, but it's also not exactly true because uh, no sooner had these problems popped up than we got an update from Apple. Uh, a minor update from Apple maintenance upgrade, I guess you could say, for El Capitan, uh, showing that they had indeed made changes uh, to specifically for Microsoft Office. Now, that is pretty unusual. It's pretty unusual for Apple to specify right in its release notes, yeah, we've patched our operating system to fix this stuff with this one particular program.
0: Now, understand also that Microsoft made changes too. So it was really a joint effort here where Apple fixed their end of it, Microsoft fixed their end of it. The impression that I get is that they worked together. They were in touch with each other and they did what they had to do.
1: And my sense is also that Apple would not have made changes to El Capitan unless this was an issue that was more widespread than just Microsoft. If Microsoft it was the only vendor affected by this, I think you know Apple probably would have Buried it, buried the the news a little bit or stuck it in one of their security update uh, articles or, or what have you. But the fact that, you know, this impacted as much as it did, I think, says something. Well,
0: Microsoft has been more cooperative in working with other platforms than before because an increasing amount of revenue is coming from iOS, from Macs, from Android even. So if you're getting big paychecks, take advantage of it. Be smart, which is not what they did before under Steve Ballmer. They would hold back features and updates for other platforms. And the only other platform was, of course, the Mac version. Now, fine, embrace it, whatever it takes. That's a good thing. Yes. To go on here, iOS. When iOS 9 came out, the only thing I noticed in the first release was that a few apps would crash upon launch. And two things happened. I got updates for those apps, and then we had a couple of quick updates to 9.0.1, 9.0.2. And that fixed most things. And there have been several updates since then. There's a 9.2 that's currently being beta tested. So it looks like Apple is really getting these things out to clean it up. I think the experience with iOS 9 was a little more reliable, though, than El Capitan. What do you think?
1: Um, I've had my share of issues with iOS 9, so I will take the fifth on that, Gene, and uh, and not openly contradict you, but not support what you're saying either. I, I think it really is, is it's very situational. It depends on the users, and it depends on how they're using their stuff. I've seen a lot of real weird uh, stuff with, with iOS 9. Um, there were a lot of problems with iOS 9's initial launch uh, when it came to restoring from uh, from backups, from iCloud backups specifically. Now, Apple took a lot of heat last year with iOS 8's release because um, the update was very big, and people don't have a lot of space on their phones um, to do that, uh, that sort of data transfer, which prevented people, um, yeah. at least initially, from upgrading to iOS 8 until they could either clear space off their phones or uh, tether them to a Mac or a PC uh, via iTunes and do it that way, which doesn't require you to use any appreciably additional space um, on, your, uh, on your device. But that problem has been fixed. You know, the, the, the problem this time seemed to be some kind of weird authentication thing um, involving Apple IDs and, uh, and, and that and so forth. So, you know, it, 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 it hasn't gone flawlessly. Uh, it isn't something that's affected everyone. But there are still some skeletons in the closet that we're going to have to deal with um, as time goes on. Nothing is perfect.
0: And understand, too, with El Capitan, it's the same number of Macs supported as the previous version of OS X. Plus, with new Macs coming out, it means more models have to be addressed in terms of their specific hardware issues with iOS 9. It's the same thing. They didn't give up on one generation of iPhones and iPads in order to do iOS 9. They simply addressed the same ones, the same models with support. And that adds, again, the complexity of having to make it compatible with more models. And that also can cause problems. We've got more to come. We've got Peter Cohen He writes for iMore and other places. He's been around this universe for a while, and he knows whereof he speaks. I'm Gene Steinberg. I don't claim to know anything. This is the Tech Night Out Live.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
11: Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to produce an endless supply of nano-sized silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. Silver Lungs. With the addition of our unique lung delivery system, respiratory infections are targeted directly, where traditional oral administration simply cannot reach. This pioneering method also preserves the original particle sizes and delivers your silver solution directly into the bloodstream. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com.
4: So you've got to
12: take a state construction license exam or certification. Can't decide on what books or what chapters to study? Discover right now how you can eliminate unnecessary books and wasted study time. At ContractorExam.com, our study materials zero in on state-required test topics in an effective, multiple-choice format. So whether you're a plumber, electrician, general contractor, or other construction-related trade, ContractorExam.com will help get you prepared. Visit us at www.ContractorExam.com today.
14: Live with Gene Steinberg, it's the Tech Night Owl. Because you never know what's going to happen next.
0: You know, one of my favorite talk show hosts, way back when, once admitted to being a professor of ignorance. I won't say that I'm somebody who follows that tradition. Some people think I am. I'm Gene Steinberg. We've got Peter Cohen. We're talking about the state of Apple's software and hardware. Now, going back to the iPad Pro, I just found a review from a somewhat suspect publication, and... One of the criticisms makes no sense to me at all. I mean, it's true, but it's misleading. And this is a publication where you've got to, because I had written for them, you always have to have cons. You always have to have negatives, even if you force the issue. So with the iPad Pro, they call it a hybrid. Now, I don't know how it's a hybrid. I guess because it comes, there's an optional keyboard, but you have optional keyboards with other iPads, and they're not hybrids. And then uh, maybe they're talking about the Apple Pencil. But there were styluses. For other iPads, this is more tightly integrated. It certainly is capable of fine drawing and such. It's a better, more refined stylus, but third parties had styluses for others. So I don't know. I can't call it a hybrid. A hybrid is like you take a PC notebook and you remove the display and make it into a touchscreen or something. That's a hybrid. We'll go into that in a moment. But just before I go on with the other negative... Would you agree with me? How do you call this a hybrid? It's no more hybrid than any other iPad.
1: Well, I assume that it's a, a rhetorical device that the writer is using to try to frame in the reader's mind, who may not be really that experienced with the iPad Pro, as to what makes the iPad Pro different from, you know, from from other iPads. And I think I understand where they mean with it, uh, but I too am having trouble parsing that because the iPad Pro is at its essence and out-of-the-box, nothing but a bigger iPad that is capable of doing some different things. You know, it has some neat features built into it that you don't find in the other iPads. Um, and, of course, it supports accessories that the other iPads don't because of the smart connector that lets you hook up a, uh, um, a smart keyboard to it um, and and the stylus. And if you've done that, or the pencil, and if you've done that after a fashion you do have a hybrid device, but the bottom line is it's still an iPad running iOS. This is not a device running OS 10. It's not a device that's designed to mimic or emulate OS 10 in any way. So calling it a hybrid device is really wrong because a hybrid device, at least according to my and I think most sensible people's definition of it, would be a device that runs a single operating system in a couple of different ways. Uh, The hybrid devices that I'm most familiar with, the PC devices that I'm I'm most familiar with, will operate as tablets, but also function as fully functional laptops uh, through some reconfiguration of the hardware. Uh, Typically, you know, click, clack, boom, you've got a laptop, and then click, clack, boom, fold it flat, pull out your stylus, and you've got a tablet. That's what I think of when I think of hybrid. That's not the iPad Pro at all in any way, shape, or form.
0: Well, I'll tell you who the publication is. It's ZDNet, which is, of course, owned by the same company as CNET, which is CBS. And they pull stunts like that. I had kind of a rocky relationship with them because I refuse to do stuff like that. The other criticism is technically correct, but misleading. That is considerably heavier than other iPad models. Well, it's 12.9-inch screen compared to 9.7 inches, but it weighs roughly the same as the original iPad.
1: Yeah, complaining that the iPad Pro is bigger and heavier than other iPads is a little bit like saying, well, it's like saying the Mercedes uh, 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 S-Class is... Uh, is is bigger and heavier than uh, than than the 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 little uh, uh, coupes that I see floating around? Well, of course they are, and you know the the engine displacement isn't the same, and the horsepower isn't the same, and all of the luxury features that you get aren't in the same because they're different models. It's not a, a it, it, it may be a statement of truth, but it, it doesn't provide any kind of a appreciable context that. Uh, that 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 makes that statement have any intrinsic value it's like for example any car maker
0: has a small car they have a mid car may have a large car and lots of you know fine distinctions but it's the same thing it's a dumb statement frankly and i think they put it in there to add something to the cons oh we found this is wrong with it and it takes long to recharge well that's true ipads tend to take a little well, while look, to recharge well look
1: objectively if you're shopping around for an iPad, the size of the iPad and the weight of the iPad are going to be a deciding factor for a lot of customers uh, because they're going to be slipping them into their briefcases or backpacks or you know, pocketbooks or whatever, um, and they want to make sure that that uh, uh, they'll be able to carry them wherever they need to go. So I, I think it's I think it's reasonable to to offer as a possible con uh, the idea that that this device is larger than other devices. Um, But, you know, it's it's still kind of silly. Well, it's like taking the MacBook Air
0: and say it's small. Yeah, because it is the smaller, lighter MacBook, although the regular MacBook is even slimmer. But you, you see the point. Or saying that the MacBook Pro, 15-inch version, is larger. Well, yeah, it's a 15-inch display. Or the 27-inch iMac is larger than 21 21.5 inch Listen, I don't want to get into that because that's crazy. I think the big argument here is not that, but the fact that Apple will not produce a combo device. They won't give you a Mac that can be used as a tablet because they feel that's a clumsy thing. Like you're describing this process where you get this all-in-one notebook, which because of the nature of the beast has to be thicker and heavier, and you find some convoluted way to remove the screen, and it has to be done very simply and smoothly. Otherwise, it could be awkward and time-consuming, and we hope with no capability of damaging it. And then this cobbled-together device has to serve as a suitable tablet. And maybe to Microsoft, that's good although Microsoft sells a fraction of Surfaces and Surface Books and stuff compared to what Apple sells with iPads and Macs. What's your perception about the complaints that some make that Apple should be doing the same thing, convertible Macs?
1: Well, is, Tim Cook um, offered a, some insight to a, uh, a publication last week about this when they asked him about the you know availability of convertible devices from Apple. And his comment at the time was, you know, we don't think that um, users actually want that. He doesn't dispute that users are asking for it. I know this from personal experience. I work in an Apple reseller, and we are regularly approached by our customers saying, you know, can I get a touchscreen MacBook? Or, um, you know, can I get a touchscreen iMac? It's technology that a certain percentage of our customers, not everyone, but a certain percentage of our customers are legitimately interested in. And I understand why. They go to Best Buy or they go to a PC computer store and uh, even Staples and they see these devices that do exactly that. And that is a trend, uh, a, a consumer manufacturing trend in personal computing right now it's a niche there have been many niches before there will be many niches again uh companies who make computers are always trying to find a new angle to get people excited to buy them so they try to figure out new ways to do things and you know it seems that that right now on trend is um some kind of convertible device that that uh that will act as both a, a, a tablet and a laptop. But Apple's solution for this is quite different because iOS and OS X work fundamentally differently.
0: Let's detail this in our next segment with Peter Cohen. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
10: For listening to GCN. Visit GCNLive.com today.
0: So here's what happened I was placing an order online
16: Owe $10,000 or more to the IRS?
17: Get on board with the tax admiral. Don't take on the IRS alone. I'll cut penalties and reduce your overall tax bill. Sometimes I can even get it zeroed out completely.
16: We're an A rated company helping people clean up their mess with the IRS.
17: If you owe $10,000 or more, then call the tax admiral.
16: Call 800 287
18: 7180. Again, that's 800 287 7180. 800 287 7180. There
19: are hundreds of silver products on the market today, but there's nothing like the astonishing health benefits of the multi-patented One Silver Solution. Boost your immune system at a great price with our Silver Solution Liquid, starting at $12.95 a bottle. Now available in regular and extra strength. That's half the price of the leading competitors. Call 844-USE-SILVER for your free catalog or go to onesilversolution.com. onesilversolution.com. There is only one Silver Solution. to the other dating services. You can join for free by going to ParanormalDate.com, and if you decide you like it and want to connect with people, use the code George for a substantial discount. Mark Rawlings, president of ParanormalDate.com, says so many people hunger to share their experiences about the paranormal, the unexplainable, or the afterlife, and so much more, and this is the source for them to meet and share that common interest. So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com, ParanormalDate.com. And use the code George if you decide to connect with someone you like.
14: know what's going to happen next well here's the tech night owl live with gene steinberg
0: now also the fact that customers clamor for something (laughs) there was a time that people wanted to buy netbooks there was a time you know that didn't last very long after the iPad came out. And right now, people may want convertible notebooks because they see them advertised, Peter Cohen. And in actually using them, which is the most important thing, when people use these products, and we were talking about Apple's approach before, which you'll detail more deeply right now, when people use these products, are they happy with them? Or are they just doing that because they see them at Best Buy or see them advertised? And you can explain more of Apple's philosophy with iOS and OS ten in that kind of context.
1: Yeah, iOS and OS ten have a kind of an interesting dynamic. You know, the, the Mac is, is not most consumers' first experience with an Apple product. It, they, it's usually an iPhone or an iPad. And that experience informs how these people who are new to Apple products or maybe returning to Apple products after many years, experience them. And for the most part, they have great experiences. For the most part, they're very happy. You know, they might be coming from Android or uh, Windows Phone or even BlackBerry in some cases. And they're they're all of a sudden in a very uh, safe environment where security patches happen in a predictable way where there isn't a lot of uh, fragmentation or balkanization of uh, operating systems and security protocols and all this other good stuff, Uh, where there is a a robust app store that is actively monitored by the company that runs it uh, to make sure that uh, the chances of you downloading nefarious software that might infect your machine with malware is kept to an absolute minimum. So there are a lot of really great reasons for people to not just get these devices, but suddenly invest a lot of effort and emotion in the app store. So about half the people who walk into a computer store uh, that sells Macs are looking at the Mac for the first time. They may have another computer in the house, but this is the first time they're looking at a Mac and the first time Mac buyers. And for those people... They are informed uh, for how a an Apple device should work based on their experience with the iPhone and the iPad. So Apple does not want to blur the line between iOS and OS X any more than it has to because it understands that these are fundamentally different user experiences. Even though they're based on the same core kernel architecture, Everything else is very different, and iOS is, at essence, a touch-driven interface. The idea is that you can always tap your finger on whatever it is that you want to do, whereas OS X uses the keyboard and the mouse as the primary interface paradigm, uh, or keyboard and trackpad as the primary interface paradigm for everything that you do. Uh, with the device. And, and this leads to a lot of decisions, a lot of user interface and user experience decisions um, that, that, that have profound, profound workflow effects for people later on. I don't ever expect to replace my, my MacBook with an iPad. I've tried. I've tried a number of times over the years, and I see us edging closer, but we're just not there yet.
0: Now, there might be some third device that comes out some years hence. And maybe that will be something that will cater more to this need. But right now, Apple has gotten something where they optimize it for a specific user experience. And whenever you combine something, you have to compromise. Yes. I mean, if I have a touchscreen embedded in my 27-inch iMac... I'm going to reach up there and touch things. It gets to be a little tiresome after a while, you know. You have to think about your wrists, and especially someone who's not 25 years old anymore. And I've got to keep my wrists under control because I don't suffer from carpal tunnel syndrome. And I've been typing and using keyboards since I was 11 years old. I've been using computers with a mouse and keyboard since the mid-1980s, the Macintosh. And right now my hands are in pretty good shape. I shouldn't say that too loudly.
1: Yeah, I follow what you're saying, Gene, and, and I understand exactly what you mean. It's, it's, it's an important issue. From my perspective, where things fall apart for me, not just on the iPad Pro with a smart keyboard, uh, but also on the Surface and the two-in-one devices that various companies have come out with, is that I don't want to keep moving my finger from the keyboard area you know, a flat horizontal plane to the vertical plane of the screen. That, I think, is a very awkward physical motion that is inclined to repetitive stress. I don't feel that um, touching on the screen provides you with the same level of pixel-specific adjustment that you sometimes want. Uh, when you're trying to, let's say, move a cursor or move a crosshair on a screen or uh, uh, a loop or whatever else it it might be that you're doing. So I I do not feel like iOS is set up to work the same way for people who are doing creative professional work, for people who are doing um, writing even, uh, as a decently equipped MacBook. Well, this is one of those things where the
0: individual taste supply, not to mention the apps. So, for example, my wife uses an iPad. And that's fine for her. She won't use my Mac. And she's happy with her iPad. Now, she doesn't do the things I do. She's not editing audio. She's not recording from Skype and capturing it in another program like Audio Hijack. And you can't do anything like that with iOS because sandboxing prevents you from capturing audio from another app. It doesn't mean Apple can't fix that or change that. And I think if they did, it could be some really good experiences using an iPad to capture audio, record the radio shows like I do, and even edit the radio shows. That could be done on an iPad. The problem is you also need really solid access to the file system because you're dealing with multiple files. And that's still kind of a limitation of the way things are designed. Now, it doesn't mean Apple can't do that or won't do that. I think as the iPad platform grows, and this is evident in iOS 9 with the more multitasking features, they're going to do things like that. They'll add things that they would consider to be helpful to expand the platform, but in ways that preserve its unique nature. Am I making sense? Yes, absolutely. Well, that's good. I really, really feel more confident about that. Do you see a time, though, where Apple might want to consider some kind
1: of convergence device, and farther in the future? I really don't want a convergence device. I am quite con- content seeing Apple's uh, current philosophy play out. You know, the, the way that Apple um, has has articulated uh, their concept here is, you know, the, the idea of handoff um, sort of frames it, at least in, in Apple's initial um uh, conceptualization of this, you know, the idea that what they want to do is make the workflow as smooth as possible and make the interface for that workflow invisible. So if you are typing in a, um, a, uh, an email on your Mac and you need to finish that email on the iPad on the commute in, you know, Handoff lets you do that. Handoff lets you do things like, um, Get phone calls and make phone calls on your Mac, uh, or uh, um, you know, send text messages to your Green Bubble friends on your Mac, which you could never do before. Now, that's uh, one thing I really
0: like—the text messaging. You have to set it up. It's not something that is just automatic. You have to set it up on your iPhone so that the messages are pushed over to your Mac, for example, or your iPad, and then you have to add that account, that phone number to your messages setup. But when you do it, it's really good because if I put my iPhone in the other room and I get a text message, it seamlessly displays on my Mac simultaneously. That is a really good feature. I don't care so much about the phone calls, you know, because if the phone isn't in here, I'll just forget about the call and pick it up on voicemail later. Plus, I have a two-line phone system here and I get enough annoyances as it is. In fact, I have now... With a Vonage account, I have this free service that blocks robocalls. So never worry about that. There is a free service, look it up online, Google it, that works with some of these phone systems that blocks robocalls, except that what happens is it rings once, and then you don't get the call. More to come with Peter Cohen. I'm Gene Steinberg.
21: (laughs)
22: Your house is under attack. Every day, our homes and families are attacked by harmful gases, mold, and pollutants caused by everyday activities. According to the EPA, indoor air can be 5 to 100 times worse than outdoor air, and the American Lung Association states that poor indoor air can cause infections and chronic lung diseases such as asthma. Protect your family with a complete indoor air quality package from Wave Home Solutions. Wave ventilation units for basements and crawl spaces reduce moisture that nourishes mold, odors dust mites, and expels gases and pollutants. Add the Wave 6 Stage Air Purifier to get rid of the viruses, chemicals, and pollutants upstairs for a complete indoor air quality solution. A healthy home is the best investment you can make. Visit wavehomesolutions.com. That's wavehomesolutions.com. Or call 888-758-WAVE. That's 888-758-WAVE. Wave Home Solutions for a healthy, comfortable
21: home.
9: Welcome back to the Tech Night Owl Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: I'm the Tech Night Owl Live. A couple more segments with Peter Cohen, writes for iMore and other places. We were talking so far about the iPad Pro about OS 10 El Capitan, iOS bugs, about the possibility of a convergence device that does the best of all. But of course, Apple is not doing that because there is no way to do that without serious compromises. Maybe somebody will have an idea, but if they do, it's not going to be Apple. Very briefly, let's go cover a few more things. Apple TV has been out for a while. We're not hearing any more words except, I guess, the sort of confirmation from CBS a while back that Apple is working on its own TV-like service. What do you think? you think Apple's going to try to do that, replace your cable provider with kind of a scaled-down streaming service for TV? I'll
1: believe it when I see it, because so much of the leverage that um, people have in terms of how they consume entertainment and how they access the world through the Internet uh, is entirely dependent on their Internet service provider. I don't think that they're going to let Apple anywhere near that.
0: And the other question is here, do we really need that? What can Apple bring to that experience that you can't already get from cable or satellite if you want a big bucket of channels? The only thing that's really difficult with the current layout is having an a la carte system. Because right now, if you want to get all your stations that you want, you may have to get several tiers or levels of service and pay a lot more. And suddenly you want a dozen stations, as I do, but you may have to buy just about everything to get them. So they kind of suck you in. So it would be nice to be able to buy less because, yes, I guess you can cut the cord and you can subscribe to Netflix, Amazon Instant Video, and Hulu. And with a little creativity, plus buying a few season's passes from iTunes, you can fill most of your needs with TV, but you may have to install an antenna if the stations are close enough because if you want live television... You can't do it with those services. And I understand that Sling TV, which is this mini-service from Dish Network, isn't doing too well. Indeed. So do we need a service from that? I mean, the only thing I need is to be able to subscribe to cable or satellite and choose my bucket of stations, not have to be forced into getting 300 to get 12.
1: You know, I I would be perfectly content with just being able to order the individual... television shows that I'm interested in as opposed to any specific networks, but I don't think that's going to happen. The networks have branding. They don't want to have
0: you go to that network just for one show. They want you to go to that network and say, oh, I like Spot on NBC. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? Maybe I'll look at Blacklist or The Player, which I don't think is doing very well, or Law & Order SVU, or I go to CBS And I get the NCIS shows. Oh, they've got Supergirl now. Or maybe they have Scorpion, and you know, about those hackers who do things for the government, Homeland Security, or CSI Cyber, which is kind of the same theme. But CBS wants you to buy the brand, not just the individual shows, but get the whole brand. You may say, I just want one show from here, one show from there, and they can go and do something with themselves. But that's never going to happen. Now, I might be surprised because Apple kind of promised they would overhaul the living room experience and the Apple TV doesn't do that. It's just another streamer. What do you think?
1: Yeah, you know, the Apple TV is, um, is, is an iterative device. It's, it's an evolutionary device. I don't think it's really going to shake things up, though. At, at least not until there's a lot more infrastructure and a lot more content in place for people to take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see where that leads. This is like a direction, I think. The problem with a proper living room experience is Apple can't expect you to make their device the only one. It only works if you have only one device to do everything. And maybe they figure, well, you'll have the gaming, you'll get the shows you want, and that sort of thing. And that was maybe part of the reason for the rumor that Apple wanted to have the ability to add the local stations to give you a full-bodied experience. The problem is here is that if that doesn't happen, Apple TV is just part of an answer. You're still going to maybe want your Xbox because you can't get that kind of game on Apple TV. You still may want your cable satellite box. You still may want to have all those things. And If you buy them all a la carte, it's going to cost you a lot of money. You think, oh, it's going to be $9 a month, I think it is, for Netflix and this amount for Hulu. And Amazon in Video, you can get that for $99 a year with your Amazon Prime account. And you add all that up, and suddenly, well, that seems inexpensive, but now you want to get certain shows. Where do you go? Do you get CBS? Has their own streaming service now? The different networks? And you add all those packages up, and you think you're saving money? You think, but yeah, penny-wise, pound-foolish. I mean, I know people who buy season's passes for shows. That's fine if you buy five. Well, if you like 12 shows, you know, two or three a night, seven days a week. You got 14, 21 different shows over the week. You buy a season's pass for each show. What's that cost? Yep. No, you're you're absolutely right. So does Apple have an answer? Is there an answer to this solution? Or are we left with the current living room experience that Apple hasn't changed?
1: Well, if Apple does have an answer, they haven't articulated it. They may have hinted at things uh, in the past, but they have not articulated it. Um, And I don't see it changing anytime soon. Yes, they're
0: just giving us hints. And I don't know about the hints. That kind of bothers me. Another thing here to talk about, we're hearing more and more about Apple Car.
1: Do we take that seriously? Um, I don't think we should take anything seriously until there's an actual product to talk about. Uh, it's It's fun to pontificate and speculate on the possibility of an Apple car, but um, I don't necessarily think that uh, you know we really have anything to talk about until we know what we're talking about. The other question is here: has Tesla with its approach
0: to the electric car and overhauling the way it's sold and serviced, when and if Tesla gets out their small model, the compact car, it's supposed to cost, what, $30,000, $35,000, which is actually the average price for a new car. You think, well, we've got all these $15,000, 20000 cars. The average price is like thirty-two or $33,000 for a new car. But that includes SUVs and trucks. So Tesla, has Tesla taken control of what
1: Apple might have wanted to do? I don't know. I have no idea whether or not the the, the or, or what what the dynamics are there. I do know that Apple is very interested in what's going on with automobiles, but when um, push comes to shove, and you know, Tim Cook has actually offered um, substantive uh, commentary about it, uh, it seems like the the focus is right now on uh, Apple's contribution to the uh, man-machine interface uh, in the car as opposed to, um, uh, you know, as opposed to the uh, actual creation of a vehicle. And that's consistent with, you know, the CarPlay efforts that they're making with with third-party um, uh, uh, auto manufacturers. That's uh, consistent with, Um, the the changes that they've made to iOS to make that process easier to work with.
0: So then maybe what Apple is doing with the supposed Project Titan is not to build a car, but to build prototypes so they can design their interfaces to more closely integrate with what the cars do and then license that technology, not just the CarPlay, but an expanded version that takes over more and more of the vehicle interface.
1: That would seem to be a reasonable expectation. That
0: would also make sense and give people an option because a lot of the systems on automobiles are controlled by computers nowadays. So if Apple gets involved with that with an operating system for cars, that might be another possibility where they offer that to you as an option. You know, just push a switch or something, instead of getting the Toyota Camry interface or the VW Passat interface, you get the Apple CarPlay interface. What do you think? Peter Cohen is here for one more segment on the Tech Night Out Live.
16: Do you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS? Then get on board with the tax admiral and let us steer your way to financial freedom. The IRS is the largest collection agency in the world. They can freeze your bank accounts, seize your car, home, will garnish your paychecks and benefits.
17: Don't pick on the IRS alone. I can fight for you using industry secrets that can help stop the IRS. I'll cut your penalties, slash your interest, and reduce your overall tax bill. Sometimes I can even get it zero. Out completely.
16: We're an A-rated company with over 30 years' experience helping people clean up their mess with the IRS, and we have a 95% customer satisfaction rating.
17: If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS, are facing an audit, a lien, or levy, then call me right away.
18: Call 800-287-7180. Again, that's 800-287-7180. 800-287-7180. 800-287-7180.
0: On the Tech Night Out Live, we've got Peter Cohen here for one more segment, and we're focusing on things Apple. And I was suggesting here that the Apple car and the rumors may be a red herring, that Apple is simply focused on the front-facing interface. Because to set up a whole car sales manufacturing system, not that Apple couldn't do it, they have the money, Sounds to me like it would be really a stretch for Apple. Then again, you know, five years from now, it may look totally different. I don't know. I don't pretend to know. But I share your skepticism, Peter, that I think they're going to want to do things in the car, but not build the car. You don't want to do that. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, overhauling the car system of buying a car. Oh, I'd love to see that done. Especially anything that could be done to resolve the visit you make to the car's Finance department. <laughs> that is treacherous.
1: So you want Apple Pay for cars?
0: That's a good idea. You know, set up an application there where you get credit lines from your bank. You go in there, I want to buy a new car. Okay, so it's twenty-six thousand dollars and it's what four hundred dollars a month for your particular interest rate. I'm guessing here it'd be four or five hundred dollars a month. And what you do is you use your Apple Pay. You go into the financing office and say, okay, I'm getting this car. Brand new Kia Optima 2016 at 265 and we made the deal. It's 24.5 plus tax. And now here's my Apple Pay, and I set it up, and now I'll be billed every month by my bank. Goodbye. I can dig that. Instead of saying, well, you need the extended warranty and you need gap insurance or you need this package or that package. And they print out your contract on these old impact printers. Have you noticed that, Peter?
1: Yes. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was. Uh, I noticed that the other day. They're still doing this. this. is a printer from the 1980s, and they take the contract,
0: a long sheet of paper, multi part using carbons. They stick it into this impact printer, not from the bottom up, from the top down, and they push a button that goes up and down. And sometimes it doesn't work, so they have to do it again. So when you go into the car finance office, even if you say no packs, no excuses, no additional things, you still spend a half hour there or 45 minutes to do all this nonsense, and you sign so many things you have no idea what you're doing.
1: Indeed, indeed. You get completely overwhelmed. Streamlining that process, I think, would be very helpful for for people.
0: But it's not something that Apple's going to do. No, it's not. Now, understand the reason that you have that sort of thing going on is that the dealers make a lot of profit from those packs. They don't necessarily make as much money from selling the car. They make You know what they're going to pay for the car because you could look it up online. You know what the dealer incentives are, what the manufacturer bribes the dealers with to sell a particular model. You know all about that stuff. You could look it up online. You say, okay, the dealer is entitled to get their 5% profit or whatever because they have to stay in business. But the dealer doesn't necessarily make all their money from cars. They make it from service. Because you're coming back every few months to do an oil change. or they Even a lot of dealers I've visited, they try to announce they'll match the prices of a third-party independent service place. As so you go to the local tire shop to buy new tires, I've gone to a couple of dealers saying, you tell us what that price is, we'll match it. They make a lot of money from service. They make it from dealer packs. The finance department, is sometimes it's the entire profit. The junk they sell you, the extended warranties, they make a lot of their profit there. Have you bought a new car recently? I have not, no. I don't think I ever want to again. Last time I bought a new car, it was so treacherous. You can't walk into a car dealership, even if you choose it online, and not spend a couple of hours there. It's just a messy thing. Of course, if Apple could fix that, that would be fine. Apple Pay for car financing. What do you think about Apple Pay? If you use it much?
1: You know, I found some great uses for it. Initially, I was not really that impressed with it because the places where I could use it were not places that I were were going and uh now uh I find um more places are taking it and it is a matter of of great convenience to me. I've even used it to to buy some stuff online as well. So yeah, you know it's a fantastic feature. It's not ubiquitous by any stretch of the imagination. And it really is a first world problem or a white people problem, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, because it, you know, lets you, it, it simplifies the transaction of places like Whole Foods. But having said that, it's, it works great and it's seamless and it, it's convenient and it's just wonderful to use. So I, I am a big, uh, big fan, big
0: fan. PayPal is not supported, by the way. I use a PayPal debit card. And it's not supported yet. I don't think Apple wants PayPal. PayPal is no longer being supported at the Apple store. So they're throwing out PayPal, I think, maybe because some people say that Apple will come out with its own solution. The nearest Walgreens supports Apple Pay. So I'll go in there, and I want to buy some paper or maybe some medication or something. So I go to Walgreens. And the problem with the Walgreens interface is not that the Apple Pay doesn't work, which it does. It is that they ask you to confirm what you want to do, credit or debit. You press credit, and they say, is this the price that you want to pay? Well, yeah, because I already agreed to do that. You have to go through like four prompts after the
1: Apple Pay to make it work. That's right. Yeah, it can be a little bit frustrating. Now, all
0: things being equal, though, Apple Pay still appears to be far and above more successful than any other of these methods.
1: Yes. Yeah, they are. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, certainly there's been some some light and some heat uh, in the last few weeks uh, for um, uh, uh, new systems for payment. Um, but uh, Apple Pay is way out in front.
0: Yes, Apple Pay. So, I don't know. I'm think it is useful, even a place we've gone to, for example, for our dog, the vet, they have an Apple Pay terminal now. And that's what you're seeing now as the technology matures and more financial institutions have it. It's possible for small stores or retailers or restaurants to offer this. Now, with restaurants, it's kind of strange too, because normally when you pay at a restaurant, they take your credit card and they go to the back and they run it through the machine. With Apple Pay, they'd have to have a portable device they bring to the table. But to me, I'd feel better that way because you always wonder, and I had a recent attempt, as I mentioned on last week's episode, of identity theft. I much prefer, if I was at a restaurant, that instead of going to the back to run my transaction, they bring a portable terminal to the table, and I see what they're doing. I don't know. You ever feel that way, Peter? Peter? Uh, yeah, I guess so. He's not sure about it. I don't know. Peter Cohen, where can we find more of the things you do?
1: You can find my, um, social media presence mainly on Twitter at flarg F-L-A-R-G-H. I have my own website at peter-cohen.com and, uh, pretty much anywhere where the wind will blow me.
0: Okay. Some people say, with me, I'm just filled with hot air. So, I am wind. I speak and exude wind. Peter Cohen, thanks
1: for joining us on the Tech Night Live Live. Thank you very much for having me, Gene.
10: You are listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
6: A lot of people's lives and bodies are out of balance. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops optimize pH level and get rid of harmful waste and acid. Just a few drops in water restores vibrance and energy and gets you back in balance. Now order two bottles and get $10 off your order. Sign up for monthly auto shipping and save 25%. Call 800-518-7615 or visit alkavision.com. Alkalize your body, supercharge your health at alkavision.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam Nussbaum with the Anthem
20: Foundation. Premature birth is the leading cause of death of babies and disabilities for children. That's why we support the March of Dimes to help mothers have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in supporting cutting-edge research, treatment and outreach to help moms during their pregnancy, and give every baby a healthy start in life. Learn how you can help at marchofdimes.org
5: sciatica, lower back pain, hip pain, poor posture. If you suffer from any of these problems, get ready to relax. Introducing an amazing product that's been in the market for over 25 years, the Sacro Wedgie. It was invented by a football coach using a common sense osteopath technique. He created this device to help his athletes by isolating and supporting the sacrum, which is the keystone of our anatomy. This wedge-shaped bone is in the center of our hips where a lot of pain starts. Simply relax 20 minutes daily on the amazingly simple Sacro Wedgie and let Gravity do the work, helping muscles rebalance and start releasing nerves. Sit in the Sacro Wedgie at the computer or while traveling to help correct posture to finally help relieve those stubborn aches and pains for only thirty three ninety five. dollars It's made in the USA, so click the family-owned website at SacroWedgie.com, spelled S-A-C-R-O-W-E-D-G-Y.com. Or call 1-800-737-9295. That's 1-800-737-9295. Relax your back pain away with the Sacro Wedgie.
23: Hi, this is Dr. Joel Wallach, the Dead Doctors Don't Lie guy. Have you ever wondered why farmers can keep their livestock lean and healthy just by feeding them minerals in a nutrient-dense diet? Before markets, they cut off their minerals, leaving them to crave high-calorie grains to fatten them up. So if weight control is this easy, why does the medical system prescribe invasive surgical gastric bypass for humans? The truth be told, according to research, you can avoid over 900 different diseases just by getting 90 essential nutrients daily. Check us out on the web at sonsoflibertyteam.com and order your Healthy Start Pack and get your 90 for Life. Or dial 855-301-TEAM. I said essential, not optional, and every day. Easy. 90 for Life on the web at sonsoflibertyteam.com or call 855-301-TEAM. That's 855-301-TEAM. That's 855-301-TEAM. Check us out on the web at sonsoflibertyteam.com at sonsoflibertyteam.com.
24: What's going to happen next?
14: You never know when you're listening to The Tech Night Owl, live with Gene Steinberg.
0: The iTunes guy, Kirk McElhern, is here. Now, as our listeners know, he lives in the UK, but his son, Percival, lives in Paris. So, obviously... When the terrorist attack occurred in Paris, the first thing I thought was to write Kirk and say, I hope everything's okay with Percival. So he was close to it, though, right?
25: Percival was out. Percival lives in, in the 19th arrondissement in Paris, which is in, in the northeast of the city. And when this all happened, he was about a mile from where it was, sort of in the center north of the city in the area around Pigalle. And this was like 9.30 my time, and I was in bed and flipping through Um, Twitter, and I saw a report about this, and I started checking the news sites and all that, and right away, I got a text message from him. He says, I'm okay, but check the news. So he had obviously, you know, heard about it pretty quickly. He was in a restaurant with some friends. He said that they heard some people at a table next to them talking about it, then obviously everyone checked their phones. You know, it took a while for people to know what was going on, so they were a bit worried, and they eventually all went to an apartment where a friend lived. was very close by. He couldn't get home the normal way because the metro he would have to take ran right through the area where all the attacks were. So he finally ended up getting a lift home from someone with a car and he didn't get home until like five in the morning. But yeah, he was fine. A little bit, you're a little bit disturbed when you're in a city where something like that happens. Paris is a very small city in terms of the borders of the city itself are very limited. I guess it's like the size of Queens or Brooklyn or probably even smaller than that. You know, you compare it to a city like London, where the city is huge, but would contain what in France would be the city and a whole lot of suburbs. So if you're in the city of Paris, you are no more than a few miles from where all this was going
0: on. No, I understand there. And I kind of think about these things because I remember my son lives in Madrid. And of course, in 2004, there was a major terrorist attack. In Madrid. Of course, at that time, it shows you how the political dialogue has changed. They weren't clamoring for President Bush to resign in 2004. Right. But now, of course, the same thing happens with Obama. And remember, this is the United States. It's not France. They are just screaming and yelling. It shows you how the politics, of course, are so crazy, but we don't want to yeah. talk about it anymore.
25: Let's, let's stay out of politics. It's one of those things that let the political professionals deal with that sort of anger and because that's what we're seeing it's anger it's anger i I mean obama has nothing to do with it yet he's getting a lot of flack i mean in part because the u.s is involved in the middle east anyway let's move on to you know we, we can get angry about apple stuff
0: well actually all they're saying to obama is if you yell louder and if you apply a proper label to ISIS or ISIL or whatever they're called, if you give them the proper label, that's how you win the war. It's like saying Beetlejuice, 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 and the little creature (laughs) comes to your door. It's the Beetlejuice argument that they make. Oh, if we just become more bellicose, we will solve the problem and we'll, you know, wipe the floor with them. I don't know. Let's get into more practical stuff. iPad Pro. Do you got one? No. I I use my iPad
25: regularly. I don't use it I, I don't work on it. It's it's the device I'll use in bed or when I'm hanging out in the living room or something like that. I watch videos on it sometimes. I play games on it, you know, email, the usual browsing and stuff. I don't see the need for a bigger iPad. I, I kind of have the feeling with a device like that, I think the last time I was on the show, we were talking about TV sizes and the distance between you when you're watching a TV and the screen size, right? And And how... A bigger screen size makes sense if you're close enough to the TV. I kind of get the feeling it's the same thing with the iPad Pro. You know, I hold it close enough to my eyes that it's plenty big. If I had the iPad Pro, it wouldn't really add that much given the use that I do. I can understand for people who work with the device that they would want to have the bigger display. But I, I really think that this is a very, very limited use case. You know, the whole pencil thing is for people who actually draw. It's
0: creative professionals.
25: Yeah, and that's not me. I don't know how to draw. Um, I think the keyboard is a bit of a hack, but it costs as much as a laptop. You can buy a MacBook Air for the same price. So I'm not really sure why one would want the iPad rather than the laptop. You know, iOS being so much more limited in in the way you can access files and all that, um, in the types of apps you can install, I can't see a whole lot of upside other than that contact of the pencil to the glass display.
0: Of course, Tim Cook wants to say, hey, look, folks, I don't use a Mac. I travel with an iPad Pro and my iPhone. But then again, Tim Cook is selling iPad Pros and iPads. He has minions to do all the hard work. So the minions carry their MacBooks and their MacBook Pros, but he can just get away with two devices.
25: Yeah. Can you imagine doing a complicated spreadsheet on an iPad? You know, when you're doing it on a computer... You tab to go to a different um, cell. You use the arrow key and things like that. I'm not sure what you can do with the iPad with a keyboard, but you're certainly a lot more limited than you are with a laptop or with a computer. So I, I would expect that Tim Cook uses it for his email and his web browsing and reading PDFs and you know all the sort of simple stuff that we all do on an iPad. But I can't imagine him doing serious work, even reading a spreadsheet on the ipad isn't that easy you don't have the same options for like changing column widths that you do with a cursor um so it's marketing he's trying to sell it that's it's obvious um and again he's got minions he's got an army of minions who knows how many minions he has
0: right and their names are minion one minion two minion three
25: i don't know i'd love to have a couple of minions myself you know to do all the heavy lifting
0: Okay, we need minions. I could use a minion. I to do it all myself. You know, I look at the iPad, and I was mentioning this several times on this show and also at technightout.com, that I don't see that it would be much of a problem to edit audio on an iPad, but I can't do this show because there's no way within the limitations of iOS sandboxing to be able to capture Skype audio and other app, mix it with my analog mixer, my outboard mixer, and my mic. Yep. I can't do that. And then I am juggling files back and forth because each episode of this show has 12 files, okay? It's not one file submitted to the network. They get 12 files and they insert the ads and all the announcements and all that stuff. They do it there through a very elaborate automation system. But I'm giving them 12 files. To make those 12 files and edit them, each one requires me opening two other files to add the bumper music and everything. And that's pretty awkward to do on iPad. They do have one or two apps that supposedly give you access to the file system to do things, but they're so awkward, you can't do it. You have to have a more traditional Mac or PC interface to do my kind of work. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen. If something like an iPad Pro catches on the business market and may need more traditional features adapted to iOS... I'm sure Apple or a third party would provide them, but Apple, again, is going to have to consider its sandboxing and its security and having apps work more closely together.
25: Yeah, I think that the sandboxing issue is probably the biggest thing, as, as you pointed out, uh, you know, using an analog mixer and all that. I, I think there are a lot of professionals who might be able to use uh, an iPad Pro or even an iPad Air um, to do the work they do, but there are plenty of us who can't. Uh, If I tried to imagine changing my workflow to do everything on an iPad, first of all, I'd be very disturbed by the screen size. Even an iPad Pro isn't that big. Um, I'm so used to being able to write in one window while I've got, say, a browser or an outline or a file with notes in another window that I can see at the same time. Now, I know you can do split screen on the iPad pro, Pro, but it's relatively narrow once you do that. You don't have a lot of space. I just wouldn't feel comfortable working like that. I mean, I'll work on my laptop if I really have to. My laptop is sort of my test Mac where I can install software and betas of OS X and things like that. Um, But I need the space to, you know, I, I kind of, picture the old way when people would write with a couple of books open and, and a, a legal pad with notes and some printouts and things on the desk and spread out. Well, that's the way my computer is when I'm writing a, an article or
0: something. Let's go into more of this. Space, the final frontier with Kirk McElhern. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Tech Night Out Live.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
0: Neighbors, are you tired of dealing with a slow web hosting provider? Well, check out A2 Hosting and their screaming fast Swift server platform. They even have SSDs that load pages 300% faster than the competition. Ready to give your site a speed boost? Well, tell you what, neighbors head on over to a2hosting.com. That's A2, that's number two, a2hosting.com. Check out their Prime Hosting account. And get this, neighbors, they're even giving you an exclusive 25% off discount for all our listeners, 25%. And remember, their Guru Crew support team is standing by 24-7, 365 days a year to answer any of your questions. Now, to get the discount, use the coupon code Gene when you check out.
12: so you've got to take a state construction license exam or certification. Can't decide on what books or what chapters to study? Discover right now how you can eliminate unnecessary books and wasted study time. At ContractorExam.com, our study materials zero in on state-required test topics in an effective, multiple-choice format. So whether you're a plumber, electrician, general contractor, or other construction-related trade, ContractorExam.com will help get you prepared. Visit us at www.ContractorExam.com today. If you're like me, you're concerned about the stock market and the economy. You're asking the questions, but it just doesn't seem that you're getting the right answers. Well, my friends at the Wealth Preservation Institute not only have the answers, but they've put together a free report, How to Survive the Upcoming Economic Collapse and Protect Your 401Ks, IRA, Savings, and Retirement Income. Don't hesitate. This report's for free for a limited time by calling 888-772-2929. That's 888-772-2929. Take back your financial lives today. As your body ages,
26: there's a 10% decline in your ability to repair each passing decade after the age 28. By age 40, your ability to repair from demanding manual labor, exercise, or a stressful desk job has declined by 12%. By using One World Way, you supercharge your body's ability to repair and eliminate inflammation. Our unique frequency-encoded whey protein, coupled with our high-quality whey, improves your cell's ability to make protein, which is to say, repair itself.
1: My name is Jonathan
8: Wright, and I'm 40 years old. I recently went from a desk job to a manual labor. Job. Normally I'm worn out. With Energy Enhanced One World Way, I now recover so quickly that I can perform very hard work all day long. I use Energy Enhanced One World Way for breakfast and lunch, and I experience less hunger throughout the day. I have a 30% increase in energy, and I just feel better. I plan to make Energy Enhanced One World Way a permanent part of my lifestyle. Call
26: 888-988-3325 or visit oneworldway.com. That's oneworld, W-H-E-Y, dot
11: Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to produce an endless supply of nano-sized silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. Silver Lungs. With the addition of our unique lung delivery system, respiratory infections are targeted directly, where traditional oral administration simply cannot reach. This pioneering method also preserves the original particle sizes and delivers your silver solution directly into the bloodstream. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com.
14: You never know what's going to happen next while listening to The Tech Night Isle, live with Gene Steinberg.
0: All right, we have Kirk McElhern, the iTunes guy, joining us. And we were talking about the use case for the iPad and the fact that, unfortunately, to do so many of the things that we do so many of the functions that we do on an iPad. Although, as I said, if more and more businesses are buying iPads, Apple will make an accommodation, I am sure, to allow these expanded capabilities, just as if they've done already. they done this already to some degree by adding more multitasking features. But that's really, you know, it's not even half a loaf. It's like a third of a loaf.
25: Well, I, I don't think... You know the whole concept of the iPad is the one window model, and of course they've expanded it to two windows with the split screen thing. But I don't think that the iPad will ever change into something that really lets you do any serious multitasking. Um, I don't think the sandboxing is ever going to change. You know they've they've what's the word? They've set out their plans. And, and I can't imagine them making that sort of change to it. Um, I don't think you'll ever be able to connect your analog mixer or have you know multiple um apps doing different things with audio files it's just and that's not what a tablet is for and and I think one of the problems here is they shouldn't be trying to sell the tablet to do things that aren't doable on the tablet and and i think so i let's let's talk about the apple watch so the other day, Dan Moran wrote an article on Macworld saying six months with the Apple Watch. And he was talking about um, what it does and what it doesn't do and the problems and all that. And it made me think about something, that Apple oversold the Apple Watch, making it sound like it can do so many things. But when it comes down to the real world, it just doesn't do very much. And you kind of have to watch out that with the iPad Pro, they're not overselling it, making you think you can do a lot more on it than you really can. I, I think if you're familiar with the iPad Normal, so the iPad Air, um, you'll know pretty well if you can do the kind of work you need to do on the iPad Pro. It's not the bigger screen size It changes anything about the device's capabilities.
0: But you can see different businesses will have reasons to use them. Certainly, artists would be using Apple Pencils.
25: Yeah, that- and I and I think those are, that's the, that's the only use case where the iPad Pro is a really interesting device. Remember that the Apple Pencil only works with the iPad Pro, which obviously it's to get people who want to, to draw on an iPad to buy the iPad Pro. I would say it's likely that they'll add that feature to the next iteration of the iPad Air. I'm very surprised that the iPad Pro doesn't have 3D Touch. You know, this is a, a marquee feature on the new iPhone, and You know, months later, a new iPad comes out, Pro no less. And this is the kind of thing that I would have expected. You know, Apple's sort of letting these features, it's interesting. So you've got, here you've got two features that are available, each one on one iOS device only. Um, They didn't used to do that. They're kind of trying to separate devices by features and accessories, which is probably a mistake. Um, if you really want to use that pencil, you should be able to use it on any iPad. Well, let's say maybe not the iPad mini, um, but the regular iPad, it should be usable as well. And again, you'll probably see that. I, when was the last iPad updated? Was it, it was more than a year ago, right?
0: Well, the iPad Air 2 yeah. is basically a late 2014 model. There was no update for 2015. There is an iPad mini 4, which basically assumes the features of the iPad Air 2. Right. So maybe that's what's going to happen in the next generation of the iPad next year. It will have the capability of working with Apple Pencil. That requires enabling hardware. Yeah, it's different
25: hardware. It's just like 3D Touch is is different hardware. You know, the, the display itself, in both cases, it's a display that, that is different. Um, I don't see why they can't integrate both of these features into the display. Of course, you know, this is just... Um, Of course, this is just, you know, me shouting from the sidelines because I have no idea how this stuff works technically. But you'd expect that they want to bring these features to as many devices as possible rather than keep them segregated.
0: Well, I do see more and more iPads in the field. Like, for example, my wife went to an eye doctor. The other day and we've mentioned it to some people already publicly my wife had corneal transplants in 2009. It's possible the one her left eye will have to be redone. right So we went to an ophthalmologist and the physician's assistant was using an iPad and she had a case with a handhold at the bottom make it easy for her to carry it around the office and enter data. So that's a common use physicians offices.
25: Yeah, I, I, I had my glasses redone a few months ago and the optician had an iPad um, for the reading test. You know, it used to be just a piece of paper with a handle that you would hold up and he had an iPad and he was swiping between different um, texts and font sizes and things like that. And I think he even had something on the iPad that he was using to check, you know, sometimes they like they put things with different colored backgrounds and all that to, to check your visual acuity. And, and he had some kind of app like that as well. Um, It it really does make sense for someone dealing with eyes to have something, particularly with a retina display, where they know that there's a a stable um, level of light and that the fonts are a very specific size and all that.
0: So there are specific business uses for iPads. And that explains, again, why that's a big emphasis with the IBM and Apple agreement.
25: Yeah, I have... Has anyone said the kinds of apps that Apple was making? I mean, they talked about enterprise apps, but I've not seen anything about um, what these apps are actually doing.
0: I couldn't tell you offhand. I'd have to research it to see exactly what's going on there. But this is something that's going to be a work in progress. You can see a lot of different businesses using it. Auto dealer, he takes his iPad and he looks up on the iPad. He doesn't have to go to the desk and take his old-fashioned personal computer, he picks up his iPad, and you're looking at a car, and you say, you know, you have this in white, maybe. And he picks out his iPad, and he looks and he says, oh, okay, we've got one in white, but it's got a sunroof. Do you want the sunroof? He can check his inventory. He doesn't have to go back to the store. If you want to finance it, he can take your credit information right there. You don't have to sit there and fill out an application. Yeah. He just takes your information. So a car dealer can make the buying experience more efficient because it's a mess right now. I don't know how it is in the UK. Is it just as messy as the US?
25: Um, well, I looked at cars a couple of years ago and they didn't have any iPads where I went. Um, it was all computer stuff and paperwork and things like that. We, I, bought a, well, I bought a used car locally. And, and before that, we bought the, the SEAT that we've talked about a lot. We bought from a dealer um, when I was living in York two years ago. There was lots of paper. It was paper and computers. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't as clean as it could have been.
0: What's different? I'm going to ask you this very quickly before we go on to other subtopics. What's different about the car buying experience, say, in the UK, as opposed to that in the US?
25: I don't know. I never bought a car in the US. You never did? No, I never had a car. I grew up in New York. Okay. Um, When you're in New York City, you don't need a car. Um, When I was young, it would have cost too much for the insurance, so I never had a car. The first car I bought was actually in Sweden. Um, My ex-wife and I were in Norway for a year where she was working as an expat. Um, We took advantage of being able to buy a car tax-free, and we went to Sweden to buy a Volvo. And then we drove it back to France, When we went back to France after that. Um, But I never bought a car in the U.S.,
0: Let's talk briefly about that experience. I want to compare it because then we'll relate to the Apple car and rumors about that. All right. So you have to kind of haggle with the salesperson like you do in the U.S. Or is there a fixed price
25: here? Um, Well, we did sort of negotiate a little bit on the SEAT. So we bought a used SEAT from a SEAT dealer. Um, So they sell SEAT and Skoda together. These are the sub-brands that Volkswagen owns. Um, Volkswagen dealers just sell Volkswagens, I think. And this one dealer had Seattle and Skoda um, and maybe something else. Not Porsche, maybe another Volkswagen something. Um, we did bargain a little bit. It was already a pretty good price and we got a few hundred pounds off. And I think maybe an extended warranty or something like that. Not very long. Um, it wasn't expensive cars. So there wasn't a lot of haggling. I mean, I, I did buy a car in France. And I bought a new Volvo in France some years ago. And at the time, Volvo had a car, car sales were, were just plummeting in France. Um, this goes back about six years. And Volvo had, were they were offering um, financing with 0% interest. Um, so they had a car on the lot that we liked. And we did bargain a little bit to get money off, well, actually get a better trade-in value on the old sub we had at the time.
0: Let's go into um, more of that in a moment. We have Kirk McElhern the iTunes guy, and more on the Tech Night Out Live.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
18: This is a healthcare alert from the Pain Relief Hotline. If you, a family member, or a loved one suffers from knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain and have Medicare as your primary insurance, we've got great news. You don't have to suffer any longer. You can immediately qualify for a pain relieving brace at little or no cost to you by calling our 24-7 Pain Relief Hotline at 866-389-0620. Delivery is free and all paperwork is handled for you. If you are on Medicare and have knee, back, shoulder, or ankle pain, don't wait. You can qualify to immediately receive a pain-relieving brace at little or no cost by calling our 24-7 pain hotline now at 866-389-0620. Our representatives are standing by 24-7 to take your call and rush you your pain-relieving brace at little or no cost to you. Shipping is free and all paperwork is handled for you. Just call 866-389-0620. That's 866-389-0620. Again, 866-389-0620.
9: Welcome back to the Tech Night Out Live, where you never know what's going to happen next. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: On the Tech Night Out Live, just trying to in light of the rumors of an Apple car to compare the car buying experience. So, so far, it's similar. you negotiate your bargain. Now, in the U.S., you go into a finance office where it gets to be pretty dicey. Do you have a separate finance office where you go in there and you make your final deal?
25: So so the cars that I bought here and even the cars I bought in France was all very small dealers. Um, It was the same person who handled um, financing and selling the car. I, I bought my Kia Picanto. I paid cash for it. I mean, I paid, you know, with a debit card. We paid the same for the SEAT. We didn't get financing on either of them. So I really don't know about that part over here.
0: What about in France?
25: Well, in that case, it was the same person who was selling us the car, who was setting up the financing. It was Volvo who was handling the financing himself, obviously, you know, through another company, but they're the ones who did the application. It was the same dealer. We just sat in his office and he typed a bunch of stuff in his computer and, you know, took the car. We didn't get it immediately. They had to prepare it and all that. But three days later, we came back and took the car. I've never leased the car. Um, We've always just bought cars either. That was the only time I ever bought a car on credit. I've never leased a car. And and I think that's a totally different process, isn't it?
0: No, it's a financial process because remember the car dealer is really not in the hardware business selling cars. They're in the financial business, the money business. So when you go to the finance office, and as you say, it was done by the same person in the U S they're going to put the contract into an impact printer, believe it or not. Okay. And they run out multiple copies And you got to sign a few things. But then the big thing with the finance office, you mentioned getting an extended warranty, which on a used car probably makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that is they will throw stuff at you, extras to buy in the finance office because they make a lot of profit from that. So they'll sell you an extended warranty whether or not you need one. They will sell you gap insurance. And what gap insurance means, for example, is you buy a new car, but it's long-term financing with a very low down payment. So say it's zero down, you're paying it for five years. And when you leave the car dealer, already your your car's value as a new car goes down several thousand dollars. Yeah. What gap insurance is, is that if your car is in a wreck and it's totaled and the insurance company will pay based on its value as a used car, and suddenly there's going to be a gap of several thousand dollars between what you owe the bank Mm -hmm. and what the insurance company will pay. Now, some We'll offer special deals. Well, we'll give you the amount of money for a car that's one year newer, something like that to overcome this. But at the early days, if it's, again, low down payment, long-term financing, the gap insurance means that they will pay the difference between what the insurance company gives you and what you owe the bank. Otherwise, you could have no car, and the bank sends you a bill for $5,000. Yeah. That's what gap insurance is. Now, sometimes your own insurance company will offer that cheaper than what they charge for the version they sell you at the car dealer. It's not just signing zero down, $500 down, 399 a month, or whatever it is for a car. They make it complicated. And in the U.S., I think they make it complicated because they make you more vulnerable. You've got so many steps to follow, it's easy to get lost in a procedure, and they make more money from you.
25: Yeah, it's interesting. I never heard about that. So the one car I financed was a Volvo some years ago. And I never heard about the gap insurance thing. I don't know if they do that here. As an aside, you know, we've talked about the Volkswagen thing a whole lot. And just before we started the show, um, I was scrolling through the news and Flipboard and I saw an article and I'm not sure who was saying this, but some U.S. officials are saying that Volkswagen should buy back these cars. It was mentioning how the value of these cars has gone down. And this relates to what you're talking about with insurance. If your Volkswagen gets totaled, and it's worth, say, $5,000 less than it was two months ago before the scandal broke, um, you're really getting screwed. And I was thinking that if I had a Volkswagen right now that I was financing, I would look at the book value compared to what I owe and decide whether or not to even keep paying off the loan and just,
0: you know, default on it. Problem is, if you default on the loan, they're going to recover the car. And then that's not the end of it they will usually auction off the car. And when they auction off the car, there's going to be a deficit unless you have equity in the car. If you have equity in the car, that's one thing. You can trade it or something. If you default, though, in addition to destroying your credit, they'll come back at you and say, well, we got $12,000 for the car, but you owe fifteen. You give us $3,000. Otherwise, we'll sue you for $3,000. Really? Or we will indicate on your credit report that. You can't just default. It's okay. not that easy. I mean, if you can do it and make a deal with the loan company saying, you know, I can't keep this up anymore. The car's not worth anything. Yeah. And it's worth, trade in value is $14,000. I owe you $14,000. let us just cut a deal here to end yeah. this loan. But even then, it'd be just as easy to go back to a dealer and sell it off or sell it privately or something. I think at the very least here, Volkswagen should obviously fix the car. And I understand one of the fixes they proposed in Germany for one specific model of those engines, those diesel engines, was to change the catalytic converter and one of the injectors for the diesel. That's a hardware replacement. They claim that a lot of these cars can be fixed with the software. Now, there's an interesting thing here. There's a report over consumer reports where they... Attempted to disable the thing that turns off the emission controls and actually drive the cars in the field and measure where they supposedly now are adhering to pollution regulations because the Defeat software is no longer active. They found a trick to do that. And it's not something you do at home. But they were able to drive the cars and check the fuel economy and the acceleration and they said, yeah, the fuel economy was somewhat less, and the acceleration wasn't as swift, but in both cases, it met specs. It wasn't that bad. These were fairly recent Volkswagens, not okay. the older models. So it may be possible to, in the software, with a very minor loss of performance, to address it. If they can do that, they can obviously just give the customers you know, 500 or or $1,000 extra to compensate. The key well, is think- here yeah
25: I think they 're going to have to compensate no matter what because you you have lost value in a car it, now you don 't have any right to say that the car has to retain value, but you know since they were doing something that was clearly um, both deceptive and illegal uh, there 's going to be if they don 't pay people something in compensation there 're going to be a lot of lawsuits
0: they 've done something like that already in the u s yeah five hundred bucks that 's nothing it, the way it works is you get five hundred dollars plus five hundred dollars off. But the thing about it is, obviously, a token effort. It's kind of an intermediary token effort. They claim, however, that if you take the $500 cash and the $500 discount for Volkswagen merchandise or towards a new car, it will not prevent your right to sue them. Yeah. In other words, you can take it. It's free. Take it. Doesn't matter. Nothing lost. About a quarter of the customers affected have done that already, they claim. Now, they're trying things to show goodwill. And I have to tell you, I like Volkswagen cars. One of my favorite cars was a 2003 Volkswagen Passat GLX. I really liked that car. That was basically a cheap Audi. It was built on the same platform. It had genuine wood inlays. It was a four-year lease, and for the most part, it was a pretty reliable car. So I am favorably disposed towards that. I'm not favorably disposed towards the fact that they cheated the public and they cheated the yeah. regulatory authorities. But I understand that's not unusual. I understand a lot of strange things happen in Europe where the means of testing cars there for meeting pollution regulations is very squirrely.
25: I have no idea. All I know is that here in the UK, you have to test your car every year. I think after it's three years old and they do an emissions test. So if it is spitting out too much CO2 and whatever else they measure, you have to pay to fix it. Now I'm guessing that when they do this testing at a garage, they put it into this test mode. And so it's cheating, right? If it's a Volkswagen,
0: that's correct.
25: So what's going to happen is, you know, they're going to find out that this isn't true and they're going to test it a different way or something. So I don't know about, I mean, maybe there's other brands that have figured out a way to, to, Make a cheating test mode. I don't know.
0: Um, well, Volkswagen is not the only company to cheat on emissions tests. They've done a much greater volume. Not the only company to cheat maybe on fuel economy. Hyundai had hundreds of thousands of Kias and Hyundais where the fuel economy was overstated and they had to give rebates to customers. More to come with Kirk McElhern on the Tech Night Out Live. <laughs> If your Mac has slowed down or isn't performing like it used to, there's a smart alternative to buying a new machine thanks to OWC. With easy do-it-yourself upgrades for every Mac, OWC has what you need to get the most from your computer. From memory and SSDs to ultra-fast external storage, take it from me. You'll discover all the ways you can upgrade your Mac today at maxsales.com. That's maxsales.com. So here's what happened I was placing an order online
27: Earthquake, floods, winter storms, prolonged power outages, or war. Each of us have had that moment when we recognize that we need to be better prepared. We typically do the same thing. We start with food storage, then we address the need for water. But have you considered heat storage? I'm talking about staying warm in the cold. Here are some things for you to consider. How will I keep my family warm? The standard answers are firewood, coal, or propane. But the problem with that, if you need to be on the move, is you can't take it with you. Another concern, there may come a time when you need to stay warm without smoke, like in times of war. There may even come a time when you can't burn fuel. The answers may be simpler and less costly than you think. For these answers, go to FortressClothing.com. Again, FortressClothing.com has the answers to your heat storage dilemma. Don't get stuck in the cold. FortressClothing.com. You'll never be cold again.
16: Owe $10,000 or more to the IRS?
17: Get on board with the tax admiral! Don't pick on the IRS alone! I'll cut penalties and reduce your overall tax bill. Sometimes I can even get it zeroed out completely!
16: We're an A rated company helping people clean up their mess with the IRS.
17: If you owe $10,000 or more, then call the tax admiral!
16: Call 800 287
18: 7180. Again, that's 800 287 7180. 800 287 7180.
0: I think, because right now it's kind of a work in progress. And this weekend in the U.S., Volkswagen was supposed to indicate their fixes to the problems with diesel engines. They claim they'll make good on it. Let's see. I don't think they want to buy back the cars, but let's see what they do. I mean, if your car goes down in 3000 $4,000 in value and they give you a check, that's okay. Let's talk about some other issues and one that I've never, never heard discussed before. And it's an article you have over at Kirkville at McElhern.com about a security problem with Amazon. How is this even possible? I never hear of this. What's going on? Well, this is
25: really weird. They've added a feature. Uh, no no one's actually sure when Amazon added it. They never ad- announced it. It, it. You know what two-factor authentication is? You, you can use this with a number of things, such as um, iCloud and Dropbox and all this. Uh, Basically, you need to enter your email or user ID, your password, and an additional code that's sent to you via text message. So Amazon's added this. A number of people were reporting this yesterday, so I went to Amazon to activate this on my account. I have Amazon accounts in three countries. The U.S., because I still buy from Amazon U.S., uh, there are lots of books I can get there cheaper. Um, France, because I used to live in France, and the U.K., because I live in the U.K., So I went to Amazon.com first, and I turned on the two-factor authentication. Now, once you've done this, you can trust a device. So when I turned it on on my iPhone, I trusted it on my iPhone. When I turned it on on my Mac and Safari, I trusted it. But when you trust a device, it's not necessarily a computer. It's also a combination of a browser and a computer. So if you use multiple browsers, you need to check them all. I use Safari most of the time, and I occasionally use Chrome and Firefox. So I went to Firefox, and I actually logged into my French account first to see, because I wasn't sure if they had set up this two-factor authentication in all of their stores or just in the U.S. So I went to the French account, and I clicked on my bookmark, my Amazon France bookmark, and I noticed that I was logged into my son's account. Now, I... They have been out of France for almost three years, and I still buy some books from Amazon France, but I usually use Safari. I can't guarantee that I've logged into Amazon France in Firefox, which is the browser I use the least, in quite a while. But I never logged into my son's account. I don't know his password. He never logged into his account on my Mac. Every time he's come to visit me, he's always brought his own laptop with him. I contacted someone I know who's a security expert, and he can't figure out how this could happen? The only possibility he sees, he asks if I had a Prime account shared with my son, and it's true that I did at some point um, until I left France about three years ago. I did have Prime, and it was shared with him, so he could take advantage of it. But I have absolutely no idea how this is possible—that you can go to Amazon and be logged in in someone else's account to which you've never been logged in. It, there's got to be some sort of thing with a cookie in the back end, you know, the ID attached to a cookie does this. And so I called Amazon. And the first time I was put on hold while they were going to transfer me to someone and the call dropped. The second time I got someone who said, well, this isn't important. Just log out. I said, what do you mean this isn't important? Of course it's important. While I couldn't see his orders because you then you still have to put your password in for that. I was able to see what was in his shopping cart. He, He wasn't buying sex toys or anything that I shouldn't know about. But imagine if your spouse, your partner, whatever, you accidentally log into their account. You can see what they're planning to buy or or they're buying something as a gift for you. I mean, it's just not right. So the second call, I finally said to the guy, look, this is wrong. I'm a tech journalist. I know about security. This is wrong. Put me through to someone who knows more. And he put me on hold for like six, eight minutes and the call dropped. So since Amazon's customer support is so pathetically bad for anything like this, I wrote an email to Jeff Bezos. Um, Jeff Bezos doesn't answer his email, but if you write to his email address, he's got a staff of minions that does answer. And a couple of times I've had some weird problems and they've gotten back to me pretty quickly.
0: I have again about having minions, by the way. Yes, yes. It's like Tim well, Cook <laughs> has minions and minions. Jeff Bezos has minions.
25: Yeah, and I'm sure I'm going to hear back from someone pretty soon about this because this just doesn't make sense. And I took screenshots and I haven't deleted my cookies. So if Amazon needs to see the cookies to be able to you know, connect them with what's in there database they can, it just shouldn't be possible that you go to Amazon and you logged into someone else's account. Now, if it was an account of a total stranger, that would be even weirder. But even the fact that it logged into my son's account,
0: just it's just wrong. Oh, boy. We it's- hear complaints about problems with Android. But, you know, Amazon, everybody's got an Amazon account.
25: Well, that's the thing. Um, and, you know, one thing people, most people don't realize... Um, If you have an Amazon UK account, why don't you go over to Amazon, uh, sorry, if you have an Amazon.com account in the U.S., why don't you go over to Amazon UK and you'll find out that you can sign in with the same username and password. Um, Go to Amazon France, Amazon Germany, Amazon Spain, Amazon Japan, they all use the same things. So with my three accounts, for example, if I add a different credit card or if I add a new address to my account, on one of these sites, it's added to all of them. So as long as you're using the same email address, your account is shared across all the Amazon. Now, this kind of is a little bit worrisome. That Let's say your Amazon account gets hacked, yet someone buys something in a country where you don't live. This would be a little bit surprising to you. and And the fact that they share the credentials like this across accounts i mean they may just consider it one giant database um but it still seems just a little bit surprising amazon hmm and and i'm a big you know as much as i may criticize amazon at times i am a big fan of amazon um i buy a lot of stuff from them it's really convenient i live in a pretty rural area um it's a lot quicker to me for me to order something on amazon and you know prime here is next day delivery so I needed cable the other day, a USB-C cable. Um, I'm not going to drive 15 minutes to a store that might have one that will cost twice as much as what it does on Amazon. So I buy a lot. I buy a lot of books. Um, I use Amazon Prime Video. Um, I buy cat food. I bought a bunch of cat food the other day from Amazon because it's cheaper than any
0: place else. So I am a big Amazon user, and this actually this really disturbs me. Well, we buy dog food, of course, from Amazon. The same thing. I can go to PetSmart or Petco, one of the local stores, and they are supposedly discount stores. There is no way they could match Amazon's price for dog food for teddy bear. Yep. And now Amazon, by the way, is offering in some areas same-day delivery and also one- or two-hour delivery in some areas, and you can shop for groceries there. And at the same time, we have traditional stores like Walmart trying to establish... In online presence with third-party resellers to compete with Amazon. And now what Walmart is doing, at least around here, is you don't have to go in there and go through all the shelves and the aisles, which can be very annoying in one of these superstores where you have the pharmacy at one end where you want to get cosmetics or just creams and lotions or stuff or Band-Aids and the groceries at the other end. Instead, you can actually go online order everything you want, their shoppers will assemble it for you. And for a few dollars extra, they'll bring it to your car. When you go to the store, you don't have to go out and actually do the shopping anymore. Eventually they'll deliver it to your home. Do they not do that yet? Some places. I don't think that Walmart does it yet. We have Kirk McElhern. We've got more to come on the Tech Night Out Live.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
27: My dad was 59 when he collapsed from a heart attack late last year. Just this past August was when we spread his ashes on the St. Croix River. I loved my dad, but boy was he stubborn. He hadn't been to the doctor in over 25 years. His excuse? He simply couldn't afford it. He wasn't a rich man by any means. At less than $107 per month, LibertyOnCall.org would have been the perfect alternative for my father. Don't wait. Go to LibertyOnCall.org right now. For not just your sake, but for the sake of your loved ones. Again, that's LibertyOnCall.org.
6: A lot of people's lives and bodies are out of balance. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops optimize pH level and get rid of harmful waste and acid. Just a few drops in water restores vibrance and energy and gets you back in balance. Now, Now, Now order two bottles and get $10 off your order. Sign up for monthly auto shipping and save 25%. Call 800-518-7615 or visit alkavision.com. Alkalize your body, supercharge your health at alkavision.com.
12: If you or someone you care about loves outdoor adventure, then check out Slingbow.com for some unique holiday gift ideas. That's Slingbow.com, where we have some innovative new products for the archer, hunter, or bow fishing enthusiast in your family. Now through January, use the promo code HOLIDAY to get free shipping in the U.S. or Canada. And from all of us at Slingbow Industries, have a safe, joyous, and peaceful holiday season. What looks good under your
26: Christmas tree and tastes even better? Big Berkey water filters. Yes, the gift of clean water. A gift that provides a great foundation for achieving good health in the lives of your loved ones. A Big Berkey water filter gives them protection from bacteria, heavy metals, chlorine, fluoride, pesticides and herbicides, VOCs and more. And best of all, a Big Berkey water filter is a gift that lasts for many years with no additional investment. And that saves time and money in filter replacements that other water filters require and are even powerful enough to purify treated, untreated, or even stagnant pond water. As always, all orders over $50 are shipped free, and GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Order online at BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Spelled Big, B-E-R-K-E-Y, WaterFilters.com. Or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's 877-99-B-E-R-K-E-Y. Gift well this Christmas. Give a Big Berkey water filter
12: so listen up here guys my buddy Mark he overhears the management team at Guns80.com and what they're saying is that between now and Black Friday they're going to put a special on the website at Guns80.com every day what that means is that you have to go to Guns80.com every day to check out the specials between now and Black Friday go to Guns80.com but don't tell them you heard it from me
14: You're listening to the Tech Night Out Live with Gene Steinberg. What's going to happen next? You never know.
0: Kirk McElhern is joining us on the Tech Night Out Live for a couple of more segments. We were talking about Amazon, about doing your grocery shopping and having them deliver it to your home. Now, where I live, I don't think any delivery person would want to come to this neighborhood. So I could see why they wouldn't. But there are areas where they can do that. And certainly Amazon does that. Now, imagine the Amazon drone where you order your groceries. You know, you order order a couple of pounds of ground beef and your milk and you order your normal staples, whatever you buy for your grocery bill. You order paper towels or something like that. And a drone... Shows up in front of your house with a couple of bags of groceries. I don't know if I want that.
25: I I find the idea a little bit weird because if you're not home, where does the drone go? Does it wait for you? Does it just hover uh, by your front door? Uh, Are you
0: saying, though, that supermarkets don't deliver where you are? There may be one or two that do, but I'm not aware of any.
25: Wow, they all deliver over here. I mean, the the big chains, they all deliver. Um, You can buy anything online. This is unlike France, because when I was in France, uh, delivery was only in places like paris and and big cities but over here they all deliver um we don't do it often because we've got supermarkets very close but sometimes we do because they'll have a promotion where if you spend 100 pounds you save 20 pounds that kind of thing they often do this around christmas so you're stocking up with you know christmas stuff and you you add on the cat food and the toilet paper and the butter and everything else and you get to 100 pounds pretty quickly but they all deliver we see the delivery trucks from the major brands um on the roads very often here
0: all right well not here yet as i said it may be a function of the fact that we don't live in phoenix we live maybe 20 miles outside of phoenix so maybe that's a function of it but you can do it with amazon not that the selection is really that good well here because they don't do any perishables which
25: in a way makes sense but you can get a lot of stuff from amazon i bought some um dishwasher detergent the other day some cat food um i've bought Um, shampoo there's a particular i hate shampoo that smells of anything as a particular one with no fragrance added that i get from amazon so you can get a lot of stuff now over here they do i think they do this in the states too where you sort of subscribe to products that are delivered once every x weeks or months or whatever and you get an additional discount this is like the perfect thing if you have got a newborn baby and you need diapers right but for pet food um if we were to subscribe we would get 5% off on each delivery because you're making a commitment. Um, there are all sorts of things you can subscribe to, but unfortunately there aren't enough for us to make it really worth doing. I mean, if you have kids and you're buying you know, diapers, cereal, particular foods and stuff like that, it might be useful. But over here for us, it, it's not. We would have to get more things to make it
0: worthwhile. Let's do a little pop culture here on a couple of issues here. Of course, you're a big Bob Dylan fan. Am I? That's what you say. <laughs> All right, before we do that, another songwriter who started in the 60s, a fellow named P.F. Sloan died. you know who he was?
25: I don't, and I saw the name in an article recently, and, and I didn't click through to see who it was.
0: Okay, of course, he worked with the co-writer, Steve Barry, And one of his famous songs was Eve of Destruction from Barry McGuire. Okay. Okay. Another famous song that he wrote was Secret Agent Man. Okay. Do you remember that? Yep. Okay. So that's another song. For grassroots, he wrote several songs, Things I Should Have Said. Where Were You When I Needed You? Okay. That's P.F. Sloan. He was pretty much popular in the 60s. And by the time the 70s came about, he just more or less disappeared, supposedly illnesses and other problems. But just for that period of the late 50s to the 60s, he had a number of songs he wrote for other performers that actually had some traction. Okay. I think of Secret Agent Man and Eve of Destruction, which is so much a 60s song very much so one of the best songs of the 60s uh, sung by barry mcguire so what about bob dylan now he's also somebody who started in the 50s and he's just never stops i i had fun listening to him when he was a member of the traveling wilburys yeah with tom petty and george harrison and jeff lynn and roy Orbison. and roy Orbison.
25: Uh, roy Orbison died after the first album right
0: The first, yes, he did. He came out with his own album, by the way. He had one album also produced by Jeff Lynne. And you can see almost the beginnings of the Traveling Wilburys in a song from the movie Lethal Weapon 2 called Cheer Down from George Harrison and I forget the name of the other guy from a friend of his. That's where that production team first started. Cheer Down from the soundtrack to Lethal Weapon 2. It's also on the best of George Harrison. The first Traveling Wilburys album was an absolute classic. I've heard a thousand times. Perfect.
25: So I actually never, I I had heard a couple of the songs, and I never owned the albums, and I bought them a few weeks ago because I realized it was one of the gaps in my Dylan collection. And I have it right here on my desk, um, it's a set with two CDs and a DVD. Um, no, make that three, no, two CDs and a DVD. So it's got the two albums plus the extra songs that weren't released on the albums originally. And what's on the DVD, I guess some videos that they shot. Um, it's got two extra tracks. The DVD has six tracks. So I guess they were all, um, you know, videos they shot of the songs. Um, uh, I did, I recognized the song Handle With Care, which I think was a bit of a popular song. And I, I, I just listened through them once without paying too much attention. There's a sound there. There's a sound that, um, you know, and it, and it fits in with Dylan's um, constantly striving to go back to the past. There, there's a sound that goes back to the 50s and the 60s um, in this band. And you can tell these guys are having fun.
0: It was something that they probably did in a couple of days. They just got in there and they jammed and they came up with this stuff because you having, you know, five great songwriters sitting together in the room and doing stuff. And it's kind of kinda sad that, you know, other albums came out of there too. Tom Petty did an album where he sang Free Fallen and other songs like that. And that came out of this partnership that developed with all these performers. And of course, Jeff Lynne was in the seventies, the leader uh, and producer for electric light orchestra.
25: Yep. And Tom Petty and Dylan toured together in 1987, which you have to admit, this was sort of Dylan was kind of hitting bottom around then in terms of live performances. Um, but I think Petty opened for Dylan and they did a tour, a fairly large I don't know if it was a stadium tour, but it was an arena tour, at least.
0: And George Harrison was very close to Dylan. They wrote songs together, like a song called If Not For You, which... Yep. <laughs> famous song for George Harrison also. What was her name? The Australian singer? I can't think of her name. I don't know. She was co-star of Greece, the movie?
25: If I told you I never saw Greece, the movie... <laughs>
0: I saw it once. I, Olivia Newton-John. Ah, oh, right. Okay. She sang, if not for you, one of her early hits. I saw Greece, and I thought it was a perfectly awful movie. And they have Frankie Valli doing the theme song written by the Bee Gees. Yeah. What a strange combination. Yeah, well. And John Travolta, of course. Yeah, those were the days. John Travolta, 40 pounds lighter. All right. Let's talk about Bob Dylan. Now, I heard some recent stuff from Bob Dylan. His voice is pretty raw these days. It's nothing like it was back in the 60s and 70s.
25: Yeah, he's 74 years old, so you've got to kind of expect it. You know, you listen to Mick Jagger, he can't hit the high notes anymore either. Um, Dylan's voice was always a bit raw, to be honest.
0: More and more rough, I guess. Rough also and raw. Now, I heard Paul McCartney doing a segment from a live concert. And his voice is not the voice you remember either. And he's, you know, in the early 70s. We have Kirk McElhern. More. We're talking music, folks. Hang out on the Tech Night Live Live.
10: Thank you for listening to GCN.
0: A lot of people's lives and bodies are out of balance.
6: AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops optimize pH level and get rid of harmful waste and acid. Just a few drops in water restores vibrance and energy and gets you back in balance. Now order two bottles and get $10 off your order. Sign up for monthly auto shipping and save 25%. Call 800-518-7615 or visit ALKAVision.com. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at
20: AlkaVision.com.
11: Silver has always been nature's very own antibiotic, and only one system allows you to produce an endless supply of nano-sized silver solutions right from the convenience of your home. Silver Lungs. With the addition of our unique lung delivery system, respiratory infections are targeted directly, where traditional oral administration simply cannot reach. This pioneering method also preserves the original particle sizes and delivers your silver solution directly into the bloodstream. See the Silver Lungs generator and lung delivery system at silverlungs.com. That's silverlungs.com
28: thousands of people seeking home security get ripped off every day and the home security industry wants you to believe that's your only option they've got hordes of salesmen out there trying to scare you into signing one of their long-term contracts you get stuck writing huge checks month after month with no way out it's robbery by contract and it can cost you thousands but there's a better way to protect your home simply safe home security simply safe has no contracts none you'll get award-winning 24 7 protection. Security professionals watching over your home, ready to instantly send police to the rescue for just $14.99 per month. That's less than half what most companies charge. Protect your home the smart way. Visit simplysafedefense.com today for an exclusive 10% offer and get a free keychain remote worth $25. Only when you go to simplysafedefense.com. Simplysafedefense.com
14: You're listening to The Tech Night Owl live with Gene Steinberg. You never know what's going to happen next.
0: So when did you start becoming a fan, Kirk McElhern, of Bob Dylan?
25: Well, I I had Dylan albums back in the 70s. He was one of the main artists. So I, when I was young, a- after I got over the sort of pop music thing, when I started really getting seriously into music, I was a big fan of the progressive rock bands like Yes and Emerson Lake and Palmer and Genesis and stuff like that. And then I got into The Grateful Dead and Dylan around the same time. I uh, never owned a lot of Dylan albums, but then what happened was, I think it was 2004, the iTunes store had their first Big, what they call digital box set, which was all of Bob Dylan's albums up until then, and I think it was like 900 tracks, and it cost something like 180 dollars or something. I mean, it was just a bargain. And I said, "Wow, you know, I, I know a half a dozen of these albums really well, but there's so much more." And once I started listening to that, and you know, listening to everything he recorded, that just totally changed. It made me realize how much I'd been missing all these years. So when I was young, I grew up in New York City and I went to concerts a lot. Uh, Madison Square Garden was a place I went to frequently for big concerts. And I never got to see Dylan because there was a period when he was touring like in 76 when you simply couldn't get tickets. Then he went through the born-again phase when he was doing all this not very good music um, in the late 70s, early 80s. I had absolutely no desire to see him. I left New York in 84. I went to France. He didn't play there often, and it just wasn't on my radar. So finally, three weeks ago, I managed to see him in Cardiff, Wales, which is about a two hour drive from here. Even though I've been a fan for a long time, have all his records and all that, it was the first time I've seen him live.
0: Let's see. Who have I seen live? Well, a sixties band, Vanilla Fudge. I saw <laughs> David Bowie live, one of his last concerts in the early 2000s. My son and I went there and he was really, really in good voice. His voice was really in great shape. I also saw Harry Chapin. Remember him? In the seventies, he was giving a yep. free concert concert. In Central Park in New York City, like 1976, 77, a few years before he died. So that covers a few things.
25: That's all you've seen? I mean, I saw. Dozens I saw others too. Now I saw dozens of concerts when I was growing up in New York, constantly. If it, if it wasn't Madison Square Garden, and these were the concerts where it was tough to get tickets for. Sometimes you'd have to wait online, get up early, or overnight. It was in the summer at the Woman Skating Rink. Do you remember? There used to be a. A sort of a festival there would be like four or five concerts a week and sometimes my friends and i would buy tickets but for other concerts we would go in and sit on one of the hills sort of if you're looking at the stage it would be kind of about seven or eight o'clock from that position and you couldn't exactly see the stage but the sound was great so we would sit out there and party and you'd probably have 100 or 200 people just sitting on the hill up there for every show
0: well, I mean, it's not the only concerts we saw. I mean, my son and I went to several. We saw Pearl Jam. And I always joke with him, and I'd say, well, it's Pearl Junk, right? So we saw that. So we saw a few other artists over the years. I, even in the 60s, I attended several concerts as someone working at a radio station, so I get free tickets. We saw, like, Gary Puckett and the Union Gap <laughs> from the late 60s. And this guy had a really great, soaring voice. Gary Puckett. And they had a few pop country hits and then they sort of faded out. I think he's still performing, though. Everyone's still performing. Everyone. They all come back, you know, even artists who broke up like, well, The Rascals. Remember The Rascals? Yeah. Sure New I've York band, some Italian guys from Long Island. They broke up, what, in the 60s and 70s? And recently, they came back and did some concerts. I don't know how good they are, but they did these concerts again, so it happens. And part of it, I guess, is you know the money you earn from all the stuff you've done doesn't last forever unless you're Paul McCartney or Ringo Starr or something. At some point in time, you have to go back to work.
25: Well, what's interesting about Dylan is, so in 1988, I, I was reading a book about Dylan the other day. At some point in 1987, he was playing in Italy, and he had this sort of revelation that he had to His life performing. And up until that point, he'd done tours off and on. And then he started in 1988 what has been called, though not by him, the Never Ending Tour. He does about 100 shows a year. And, you know, this is going on 27 years now. It's just amazing how much he does perform. It's not like he stopped, he slowed down. It's not like he stopped and he did a comeback. He slowed down and then he just went into it. With all his strength, and it's really impressive that he can do so many concerts and keep on. Now you'll say his voice is is gone, and it's certainly not the voice of Dylan of 1965 and 66. But he has aged the way a bottle of wine ages, instead of the way you know Keith Richards ages.
0: What's really Keith interesting? Richards had aged about 40 years ago.
25: Yeah. What, what's really interesting about Dylan's show right now? Um, Last year, he released an album called Shadows in the Night, which was a bunch of covers of songs that Frank Sinatra sang. And he does six or seven of those in his set list now. And there's something magical about it. And, you know, I was saying before that Dylan, with with the Traveling Wilburys, was going back to the past. He's always been interested in old music. And here he is doing stuff that was sung in the 1950s. And he really makes it his, you know, in his own style. Um, with his own voice you like it or you don't but i i find it quite
0: impressive bob dylan i you know like some of his stuff i'm not a completely crazed dylan fan or i haven't listened to all the albums i do like the fact that in some of the songs his most famous songs when you listen to his voice he's sarcastic how does it feel sarcastic
25: Yep. you know and if you listen to interviews with him if you look on my website i posted a uh, an interview that was on youtube recently that he did in 2004 for 60 minutes with uh ben bradley was it tom bradley whoever um and he's he's always got that sort of sarcastic tone like why are you bothering me kind of thing um it's you know it's it's a funny life because when he started out he was doing these songs that were really emblematic blowing in the wind and masters of war and things like that 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 were technically protest songs and people saw him as a quote-unquote spokesman of his generation. He never wanted that. That's not what he intended. And that made him sort of take an approach to the press and the public in general that's sarcastic and and sometimes a little bit aggressive. But I just think he's one of the best... He's probably the best songwriter that's ever been in the United States. Um, He's written so many extraordinary songs over the years. And, you know, we're talking a career that's more than 50 years now. His first album was in 62 um so you know 2015 i mean god that's a long time
0: oh yeah that somebody can sustain a career like that for so many years is really yeah and,
25: and, and sustain it you know with ups and downs but he he had an album in 1997 called time out of mind which was a, a huge comeback it was just a brilliant album excellently produced by daniel lanois and it totally turned things around that you know he would had a fallow period no no musician can have a 50-year career of excellent albums. Um, but since then, he's been doing some extraordinary stuff. So, you know, you've got, you've got so many Bob Dylans over the year that if you go to different decades, he's such a different musician doing different kinds
0: of music. Kirk McElhern, please tell our listeners where they can find more of your stuff.
25: You can check out my website. It's called Kirkville. It's at www.maclehern.com. That's M C E L H E A R N.com. And you can find me over at Macworld, where I write about iTunes and all sorts of other things.
0: You can find us on Twitter, where we are known as Tech Night Owl. A reminder that the price for subscriptions to Tech Night Owl Plus goes up noon Mountain Time on the 23rd of November, 2015. If you hear the show after that, and you miss it, well, write me. I'll see if I can do something. Otherwise, it'll be slightly higher. Otherwise, if you subscribe now, you lock in the current rate for as long as the subscription remains in effect. Won't go up again. It's grandfathered. We give you the ad-free version of the show. We also give you the Tech Night Owl Minute that we're starting to phase in. We'll do more of those in the very near future. To learn more about how this works, go to plus.technightowl.com. Once again, that's plus.technightowl.com. We offer subscriptions as low as $6 a month. Not much more than on a Starbucks coffee. We offer year subscriptions. We offer five-year subscriptions. We even offer lifetime. Plus.technightowl.com. Kirk McElhern, thanks for joining us on the Tech Night Out Live. Thanks for having me once again, Jim.